Welcome to the Hustle and Flow podcast. The platform we use to explore varying perspectives and opinion through candid conversation. We chat about philosophy, business, and all things life. I'm Sean the Hustle. And I'm Les the Flow. Let's go. All right, guys, today we have a special guest on the podcast. He's someone who was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness at birth, and with that, faced the odds of a grim life expectancy, along with the ritual of consuming 50 tablets a day in order to maintain his health. While some might resign themselves to a lesser expectation of life, our guest chooses optimism and approaches life from a place of positivity. He has an interesting philosophy on life, likening it to a game of poker. In his words, you are dealt a hand to play with and it's out of your control. If you choose to fold early and throw in your chips, then your game is finished. But if you choose to hold on, keep the faith and wait for the river, your life might just get a whole lot richer. He has overcome the odds of his life-threatening illness to live a life with meaning and uniquely on his own terms. Having built and enjoyed a successful and somewhat more traditional career, in more recent times, he has decided to switch gears, dedicating himself to his podcast and video platform, where he shares his personal journey and dives deep into conversation with special guests from all walks of life. His platform is based on the belief that one person, one story, or one conversation can change your life for the better. And his aim is to tell these stories, share knowledge, inspire people to be better every day, through the Bradley J. Drybra experience. With that, I would like to welcome today, Bradley J. Drybra. Boys, you've done your research. I love it. I love it. The, the analogy for life, it's, that was nice to hear. I appreciate the intro. No, it's a pleasure, man. And, and um, appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks for joining us, Brad. Of course. No, it's, it's my pleasure. I love to come on these shows and, and support others who are doing very similar things to myself and any opportunity I get to, to flap my gums and share a story, I'm around it. So, Yeah, mate. So uh, as, as Sean has said, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. And um, he's given us a little bit of a, I guess, a taster of who you are. It's an already an inspirational story. But, uh, you know, what, what Sean and I would probably love to hear and, you know, our audience as well is uh, just to hear it from, you know, the horse's mouth, mate. Just uh, your origin story. Who, who Bradley is and uh, how, how you are the man you are today, mate. So uh, the floor is yours, man. Um, go as far back as you like. I appreciate it. So I guess, you know, for me, um, you know, I was born with cystic fibrosis, as you guys um, sort of explained just there. And for the audience listening, cystic fibrosis is, it's actually such a common genetic illness, but rather it's so like, we're so uneducated about it. So when I say that to most people, they've got no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but cystic fibrosis is a hereditary illness that my parents were both carriers of that gene and passed it on to me. They weren't affected by the illness, but they carried that gene in their, in their um, genetic makeup. And it basically affects most of the major organs in your body, but predominantly the digestive system and the lungs, um, where in very simple terms, you're missing... Um, basically a gene that transports salt and water to the cells to allow mucus to move freely around your body. So without that, mucus gets thicker and stickier, as gross as that sounds, in those organs, especially the lungs, and um, impairs functions and creates obstruction for clear airways, and you know which the lungs are already, um, I guess, home to a lot of bacteria and become breeding grounds for bacteria when that mucus sits thicker and stickier so you know cf patients are usually prone to lung infections um you know bowel issues i was also diagnosed with liver disease at the age of nine and 
um, hit with diabetes at 13, which I got over. But basically, it's all from that, you know, systemic issue um, with cystic fibrosis. But, you know, I guess to, to go back to the question, you know, I was born with that, but I was born a healthy baby in a sense where, you know, some kids with CF are immediately thrust into life with bad health. That wasn't the case for me. Um, I was given, you know, call it luck, almost like that hand of poker. You know, it's a little bit of luck if you dealt an ace or a king in that in that pair too. But, you know, for me, I was blessed. You know, the biggest blessing was not that luck or that immediate health, but rather the two parents that that brought me into this world. And, you know, my dad, Darren, and my mum, Diane, are literally two living angels there. The reason why I am so well now. And for me, you know, they they had a child, their first child, and were more prepared than any parent could ever be. You know, they built the dream house. They owned it. They didn't have a mortgage. They were set in life. They both had great jobs. They were, you know, amazingly happy in their relationship and their marriage. And they were bringing their first kid into the world with what they thought was the, the best preparation. And then they hear that word cystic fibrosis or that term and had no idea what it was. And no one in my family did either. And, you know, among some research and those first meetings with doctors began to understand what that illness entailed. And, you know, like you said at the start there, Sean, it's, you know, if you look online, those stats are pretty grim. You know, it's a grim life expectancy. It's currently, I think, around 38 years of age in Australia. It was definitely probably a little bit worse 24 years ago when I was born. And, you know, you just hear, would have heard, especially then um, and even so now, just a lot of negative stories that surround cystic fibrosis. But credit to them, they went into to this, I guess, parenthood with just the best mindsets. And they, they made a decision very early on that the stats or history wouldn't define what my life was going to be like and the life that I was going to live. And they decided to do absolutely everything in their power to make sure that I had the best opportunity in life and a very healthy one at that. So, you know, I remember, you know, they, they tell the story very vividly, but at my first doctor's appointment, he basically sat there in front of them and said, look, your son would be better off with a terminal illness because that would kill him or he'd get over it. This is going to ruin the rest of his life. And they got up and they left that, um, they left that appointment and decided to find a new doctor because that wasn't the attitude that they wanted. And, we were blessed to come across a, a gentleman by the name of John Morton, Dr. John Morton, who has since passed, but was just a beacon of light um, for the cystic fibrosis community. A doctor that had that same mindset and shared that same outlook that my parents did that, you know, prevention was better than cure. And if we'd done the right things, I could live an incredible life. And, you know, my childhood was exactly that just, you know, I was, I was, blessed to have this passion for sport and physical activity that come from both my parents, you know, physical backgrounds. And, um, I just, my first love in life was rugby league and, um, and sprinting and, and beach athletics. And I just threw myself into all of those and bloody poor parents driving around seven days a week, cutting me to sport. And, and my sister as well, I got a younger sister who's just two and a half years um, younger than I am, but just, you know, a childhood filled with amazing moments and just the message always was, it was never what's Brad doing with CF. It was Brad's going to be the next Brad Fittler. He's going to be the next Usain Bolt. Like it was always like the bar was set extremely high for me. And for me, there was a real pride in being exceptional with cystic fibrosis. 
So I guess that, that was really my childhood and then transitioning into those teenage years and those adult years, I always had a close connection with my family. You know, most kids go through that stage as, as they get into high school and they're starting to get that little bratty attitude about them. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to think, you know, my parents might disagree, but I'd like to think I never sort of had that. I just always had this immense appreciation for the people in my life and what they'd done for me. And I really understood, like I felt like, you know, maybe even a little bit isolated in, in my teenage years within my mindset, not my friendships or connections. I had great friends and amazing circles around me, but I felt that my mindset was very isolated in the understanding that life is short. And I felt like I, I maybe understood life as a, you know, 30 or 40 year old would who had been through, through a few roller coaster years and through a few challenges and, that really kept me close to my family and, and just built this love for the people around me and respect for them and just respect for my health and my life. So, you know, through my teenage years, as my mates started drinking and partying and doing all that, you know, I'd go be around them and, and have fun and have amazing times. But I never drank because I had a bad liver. I never, I never had any interest in like testing drugs or like being a part of that, you know, in, as most people are in their, their teen years or heading into adulthood. For me, it was about, I've been blessed with a body that is healthier than most. And even if I do face some challenges with it, I'm going to cherish that and I'm going to cherish my health. But unfortunately, my downfall was probably leaving school. You know, I left school at the end of year 10. You know, I had some brains, but I just didn't want to use them. I wanted to be more practical in life. And I, um, I left and I found myself in the world of personal training as, as most young fellas in Australia do these days. And, um, and I loved it. Like I built great connections with people and I just found that my strength was not just my understanding of health and fitness, but rather my connection with people. And that connection with people led on to a little business opportunity that I ran for a year, but then into real estate and real estate for me was, it was new and exciting, but it was probably for me where my mindset at about 20 years of age shifted towards, um, you know, money is a necessity almost in life and what can I do to make good money? Um, and real estate was one of those things that I'm sure as you can tell now, a few minutes in, I can chew the ears off anyone. Um, and I had like a passion for property. I loved property and I loved beautiful homes. And I thought, well, if I get to work with people every day and sell nice houses, this could be for me. And, you know, my first six months in, I just learned and absorbed and I felt like I grew really quickly within that space as a young guy who was, you know, conquering each new opportunity or challenge within his career and learning and growing from it. And, you know, a, a good first year in real estate led to um, an exciting second where I moved to Melbourne and sort of tackled the high end um, real estate space down there. And that opportunity come through um, a guy who I'd, I'd met basically online, Marty Fox, who ran White Fox Real Estate down in Melbourne. And he said, move down and, and give, give it a try down here. And I went into that um, and, and I was really nervous and anxious because for me, not about the opportunity, but it was, like I said, I was so close with my family and they were literally my life that this was me moving away from all of that. And becoming very independent and I decided that you know like any eager eager human would that you know life is short and you got to throw yourself into these challenges and 
and you'd hate to regret it and, and wonder what, what would have been. So I moved down there and I found myself in that circle for nine months. And whilst I learned a lot there and, and I had a lot of great experiences within the real estate space, I almost felt like maybe I deflated a bit as a person. I was just probably working a little bit too much. And I just felt like I fell out of love with, with, with the day to day of my life. And um, I wouldn't say I was, I was like depressed or in a bad mental state, but I just, I lost a lot of my health. My health went down track and it was just for the first time, like my professional life had really taken over. And I just felt like all the foundation I'd built as a young guy to maintain my health and to have those amazing people around me, I'd lost that. And I felt like I'd lost my way a little bit in the process. So I made a decision to move home and take the experience I had down there back into the local real estate game in Wollongong and come back and just had an amazing 12 months in a business sense. But, you know, along the way, and that's, you know, the 2019 um, late stages of 2018, I got back and 2019 for me was a really eye-opening year. It's a year that changed my life in many ways. I had my, what I define as maybe the, the first real success of my career where the goals I'd set out with at the beginning of it all were starting to be executed, you know, consistent listings, consistent sales. I'd built, uh, you know, an individual brand under the company of MMJ Real Estate where I was the young guy with tattoos and, you know, fade, you know faded haircut and bloody ripped jeans in a t-shirt running around selling houses. And that was kind of never present here before. And I'd got a lot of confidence in being myself. And I got a lot out of that as a, you know, as a business figure, because I was able to show that it's not about the, the look and it's not about the tradition of the industry. It's about who you are as a person and the way that you treat people and respect them and the results that you get. And, and I felt like I had a real privilege to show that um, to the industry and, and to have some great success. But along the way, I, I got hit with a bit of a six in, um, September, October last year, where I come down, was feeling pretty sick. And my, it was like my immune system had shut down. It's like, I went back to that 16 year old pimply face kid, bloody, the body was feeling average. I felt really unwell and sick. And I got admitted into hospital for two weeks with a lung infection that basically for the first time, not the first time in my life, because I went through some trials and tribulation in sort of my 18th, 19th year with um, some, you know, pneumonia and some other things with my cystic fibrosis. But this was the first infectional issue with my lungs where they said, look, this could severely impact your life. This infection has um, a real damaging, um, it sort of it does a lot of damage to the cells in your lungs, which would stop you from ever having a lung transplant if you need it. And that kind of really shocked me because I'd never planned to have a lung transplant. Like I said, I wanted to make the most and go through life with the, the set of lungs that I was given and, and make sure that I never got to that point. But when you almost when that backup plan or that plan B is taken away from you or potentially taken away from you, it makes you realize how essential plan A is and how important that is and how much weight that holds. And I sat there and I just thought a little bit disappointed in myself that how'd you get to this point? Because you were so you know, you're at the point where you're 16 years of age and your doctor said, if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll never have an issue with your lungs. So, you know, how have I let myself get to here? And I just look back and I assessed and it's funny because that two weeks of 2019 was the best two weeks of my year. 
And that sounds silly for people to, to hear. And it sounds almost silly to say that your best two weeks of a year were, were the ones that you spent in a hospital bed. But I just felt like I got my life back. Like it become about my health, my happiness. Every day was filled with waking up at six in my pajama pants and my socks over the top and just running around Wollongong Hospital, grabbing a coffee, having a yarn with a guy that owned the cafe there, you know, creating a great relationship with my nurses and my doctors where we had not only um, a professional relationship, but a, a friendship where we could share banter and have a laugh. And, you know, I got to sit there every day and just immerse myself in things that I loved. And it felt so refreshing. You know, I still done some work. I had a little, you know, the little um, hospital tables that they bring your food on and want those little visitor chairs. I had those set up in my room and had clients coming in for meetings, but I felt like just very minimal work and just a whole lot of working on myself. And I left that hospital room after two weeks and I thought my life needs to change from here. Like this needs to be the catalyst to move forward and do something about regaining my optimal happiness and my optimal health. And I left there and I started to change everything about my work. I started to change the environment. I, I literally worked out of cafes for probably three or four months to see if it was my environment in the workspace that was making me feel this way. And, you know, I just still felt like I was going in there without any um, eagerness to work. I was waking up in the morning and I felt like I had to drag myself out of bed at 6.30 to get to a cafe at seven for a coffee. Like I just felt like my life had lost purpose. But it wasn't that it lost purpose. What I came to realize was that the purpose I felt I have, I just wasn't fulfilling in that space. And for me, I always said I wanted to change or impact people's lives. And I'd started my podcast and I felt that starting to happen through the power of conversation and through those chats I was having with my guests and also me sharing my own story. And I just, I remember sitting there and I just got to the point where I just, I didn't want to be at work and I didn't want to be, you know, the people I worked with were bloody amazing humans. I love them all and I still have a great connection and friendship with all of them, but it was just the work wasn't satisfying anymore. And I made a decision in February that I actually made it in January. I said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to put in my resignation in February and I'm going to finish up by April. I'll finish selling all the properties I have on my books and I walk away clean slate and just start life again and, and start pursuing what I love. And I still remember vividly the moment that I told um, my boss, Dan, that I was leaving and I remember sending him a text because, you know, I didn't want to make a big scene. I sent him a text. I was like, hey, can we go have a chat in one of the meeting rooms? And we went out there and we sat down and it was almost like it was so emotional, not because I was leaving, but I remember telling him and I felt like I was tearing up because it just felt like a weight off my shoulders. Like saying those words that like, this is it for me, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm finishing up. Just felt like the weight of expectation was lifted off my shoulders and that for the first time in a long time, I'd made a decision that was about my health and my happiness. And, you know, I finished up in April and the months following have been the most amazing months of my life. Like I bounce out of bed at five every morning. I just throw myself into every opportunity and I've become very particular in following and, and pursuing every part of my life that fills me with that purpose and, and feeds back into that. So it takes you to where we are here today, sitting in front of you guys and sharing my story. And it's just been the most incredible year of my life thus far, 2020. With all the madness that's happening in the world, the perspective for me has been a real life-changing shift. And I'm just super stoked that I made that 
realization at 24 years of age, not, you know, 44. Absolutely amazing, man. Thanks for sharing your story with us in such detail. It gives us a real good idea of how you come to be where you are today and, and the bratter today, man. It's amazing. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. And um, I think one thing we can all draw out from everything you explained there is just um, the power of perspective for you and the perspective that you hold, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can see from every challenge you've had in your life and stage you've um, gone through, right? Like um, we had someone on the podcast last week that said something you know, which was profound for me in the way you said it, which was there's no start and ending. There's just transitions and cycles, right? Yeah. And it seems that you've had so many transitions and cycles throughout your life. Um, but what's common throughout them is the perspective you've held, the positive one, the one to, to approach it with, you know, zeal and, and to do what's right for you in the moment. And then something kind of, you know, starts to trend down and, and you've been able to identify it, which takes awareness and, and you know, knowledge of yourself. Um, Definitely. Is, I think that, you know? That's a funny thing. Like to, to touch on those cycles, I think, like you said, you, you head into new cycles and you grow and you learn from the last one. But I think the hardest thing for most people in the choice that I've made is, is almost humbling yourself. You know, it's, it takes, it takes a level of humbleness and also guts to go, okay, I'm making really good money here and I'm going to be really comfortable financially, but I'm not going to make any money and pursue what, sort of gives me happiness every day. And, you know, I made, I said to someone the other day, I've made like 500 bucks in three months. Like that you get, you know, you can't maintain that forever. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, I'm making moves now that'll make me more financial. But I think you've got to ask yourself the question, like how much do I need? Do I need a hundred grand a year? And, and what does that $100,000 actually allow you to do does it find you just buying things to to try and make you feel happier like i know for a lot of people that money leads to new vices to try and bring happiness for me it was sitting at a cafe for literally six hours a day having three four coffees breakfast lunch because i just didn't want to leave i didn't want to have to go back to the environment that didn't feel right you know and in the position i am now you know, it's free to get up and walk every day, to jump in the ocean, to run, to, to do all the things I love to do. You know, life costs money. But I think if you can find what works for you and that balance between the money you need to be financially free and the lifestyle you need to give you happiness, that's the sweet spot. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a super important thing to, to point out. And I think that, you know, it might seem simple, to, to most people that you point that out, but at the same time, right, what we're funding when we're looking to, you know, climb the corporate ladder or, you know, get those, you know, continually get those new roles and positions and pay rises and all that sort of thing. It's to fund, like you said, it's, it's a lifestyle, right? You're funding some sort of lifestyle that you have been sold that, that you feel like you need to, to have, Definitely. you know, you know, the, the, the new clothes, you know, the new car, all that sort of stuff, the, the latest house, the jewelry, the new phone, you're funding a lifestyle. If you strip it all back to the bare essentials, as you said, and it's going to be different for everyone, like, you know, you can survive on, uh, survive well, you know, in, on, on much less money, on much less money than, you know, six, six figures or whatever. 100%, you know? you know, for me, I think one guy that says it really well is Gary V. And I'm a big Gary V fan because that's a guy that puts, I think he uses his platform really well to put all of that into perspective. It's, you know, 30 grand is, is far more financial when you're happy and you love your life 
than 60 grand is when you're chasing happiness outside of what you do five, six days a week. Cause you you need that extra 30 grand when you're unhappy. You know what I mean? You need to get away. You need the holiday. 100%. You need the car to give you some sort of false um, security or, or freedom on your way to work every day. And, you know, I used to drive, you know, I've, I've always driven a Mazda, but when I was in real estate, I had to deal with Audi and they'd give me cars to drive in my property videos. And I remember driving around one day in about a $150,000 car and don't get me wrong. It looks nice and it's gorgeous inside. And it's, you know, those leather seats with the coolers are comfy in summer, but I'd drop that car back at the end of the day and jump back in my Mazda three. And I felt no different. Like, and, and it's those realizations, but unfortunately most people don't see that or figure that out until it's too late until they've wasted the last 20 or 30 years of their life chasing that. And, you know, all in the same, I think all those nice possessions and those, you know, comforts that come with financial freedom are, are lovely to have, but I don't think they should come at the expense of your happiness. And, you know, I'm not going to say no to a, you know, a Bentley in 10 years if I'm waking up and I'm, and I'm loving every day and it's a byproduct of me pursuing purpose and happiness. But if it comes at, a, um, if it comes at the cost of that, well, then I'm against it. I agree, man. And it's priorities, right? It's how you prioritize those things. And um, I think we tend to find that if we prioritize the money or the financial above the happiness, you don't end up getting the happiness. Like it just, it falls down the list really, really far. Right. 100%. And you invert them and the happiness. And when you come from a place or you choose happiness over the financial and start to do things that really bring you alive, it's an infectious energy around you, right? And, and the things you do are injected with purpose and with meaning and with zeal. Um, and that brings the financial part. People talk about, it sounds cheesy, but it's the truth, man. It's the truth. 100%. You know, it's, it's funny because we all have, you know, I sit here in my wisdom now, but we all have our moments. And it was probably about, you know, a month ago, I was sitting there and I was having a moment. I was talking to my mate, Joey Plum. And I was like, man, you know, like I just, I, I love what I do and I love the podcast. And it, it literally fills me with the greatest joy every day, but I can't wait until it, it has that financial stability to it. So, you know, I know that that can be my future and my life. And he reminded me, he said, you know, remember brother, that money is a byproduct of doing what you love really well. And it was just a reminder I needed at that point in time. And it's, it's what I remind myself every time I have one of those moments that if you continue to pursue what you love and you do a good job of it, it ends up being the byproduct of that. And, and that's an amazing feeling, which I'm starting to have some of that now, which is great. Mm. And, and what I continue to come back to, so you're, you're a young man, you know, you're in your early twenties yeah. and um, the perspective that you hold on life is, is just like you said, like, you know, you ended your origin story with this view of like, you know, being blessed with seeing the world through the eyes that you do now versus, you know, realizing at the age of 44, you know, 20, 20 years down the track. Yeah. Talk to me about, talk to me about your perspective. Like, it seems like you've held it, you know, for, for a very long time, maybe, maybe since, you know, birth because of this, you know, particular diagnosis that you had at birth, but, you know, tell me about that and like how that has sort of evolved over time, you know, to, to this day. Definitely. You know, I think for me in particular, you know, I don't like to say this about myself. I'd quote it from other people, but you know, I hate to put tickets on myself, but I remember my parents always said that as a kid, 
their friends would say, man, that, that guy's been here before, you know what I mean? Like he's lived this life before and he's just something about him. You know, I remember being young and, and I just, I just felt like I understood what life was about. And, you know, being, being a young fella, I used to get asked a question by my mates all the time, you know, do you wish you didn't have CF? And my answer's always been no, because just perspective was, you know, I'd prefer it to be me that face these challenges opposed to my, my sister or my family. But I feel like I've gained so much out of it. Like the person that, you know, I, I can honestly say that, you know, I'm really proud of the person that I am. And I look back on my life and I feel like, you know, I've, I've learned a lot and I've been able to share some of that wisdom in the more recent years with, with my friends and impact some other people. But I look back on that and I just think, you know, it, it really is a blessing in its own way. It's built so much strength and resilience in me that, you know, when the little things, those little challenges you, we all face in life come my way, it just doesn't feel so big. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like such a big problem. And, you know, it's been more recently though, I think that that perspective has been so strong, you know, with the announcement of my marathon for CF in December and the, I guess that being backed by Cystic Fibrosis Australia and, and them coming on board and sharing my story as well as me heavily documenting that process. Had a lot of people within the CF community reach out and it's been a few in particular that I'll share. So I've got, um, a, you know, two brothers that I actually created a good connection with over in Auckland, New Zealand. And one of those brothers has cystic fibrosis. The other was in real estate. So that's how I connected with those boys. We both shared something in common and, you know, the, the brother with cystic fibrosis more recently has had some challenging times and he found himself in a, you know, a situation where he was in hospital and need, in need of a lung transplant. And, you know, for me, I remember sitting there thinking, I was actually chatting to him the day before he went in for his transplant. And he said, I'll chat to you on the other side. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, what, you know, this is amazing. He's going to come out of this new set of lungs, new lease on life. You know, he's got his health back. He's got this opportunity to tackle life again, you know, a fresh start. And, you know, his brother had been keeping me updated. So what I didn't realize is that post transplant, you're in an induced coma for five to 10 days and allows your lungs to bind to your body and your body to basically accept them and start working with them. And, you know, coming out of that induced coma after five days, he then started to see some complications and was in for another three surgeries and, really was was in the fight of his life you know and it's it's been a massive blessing that he's come out of the other side now and he's starting to to make that progress and and work his way back to being healthy but you know when he was really in that fight and it was you know it felt a bit 50 50 from the outside looking in it just hit me i thought you know nothing is guaranteed you know my headspace was that he's coming out of this new lease of life and ready to to do all the things he loves again but, you know, maybe that wasn't going to be the case. And it reminded me of how lucky I am. And then just the other day, I had a young fellow message me who, you know, had been in hospital with what I was in for um, in September, October last year. And, you know, he said, you know, I've been down in the dumps and, you know, I'm sitting there watching these videos of you train for 42 for CF. And, you know, it's just lifted my mood. It's boosted my attitude. And I feel like, you know, you face what I'm facing now and have come out the other side and, you know, it's just inspired me and you've become a role model. And for me, you know, that, bring, that brings tears to my eyes when I read that stuff because that feels like true perspective. It feels like true impact. And, you know, I've had the messages from people who have shared with me that they're, 
you know, their family members have passed with cystic fibrosis and then this means so much to them to see this happening. And it just for me reminds me of how blessed I am. And I think, you know, in life we all face challenges and I honestly believe that I'm here to face the challenges that have been set in front of me, but to teach other people and, and to allow them to learn from, from the way I live my life. And so, you know, I think perspective is huge. And if you have good perspective, you know, it really does give you true happiness in life. Yep, definitely, mate. I would agree with that 100%. And actually want to take people back in time just a little bit. Um, you were telling Les and us about how, you know, this quest for your marathon at the end of the year came about. Would you be able to just fill the audience in on, on that and, um, you know, where you were and, and to where you are now? Because you said something really poignant for me, which was progress off the back of purpose. Yeah. And I feel that, um, you know, people would really benefit from hearing about that. So could you just let us know how that's been going for you? And, and yeah, definitely. Developing? Definitely. So um, for me, it's sort of, like I said, I, I literally finished work just as COVID started to go crazy and we got sort of had to isolate at home. We had that sort of sense of a stage three lockdown and, for me, it's, I'd been a little bit lazy up until then. So I started in sort of April to start to try and get my health and fitness back. And I started with just like walking and swimming heaps. And then, you know, a couple months of that and building discipline and routine and passion for exercise again, led to a conversation over a coffee with a couple of mates. And they were like, Hey, we do this run every Sunday at 6am. It's called active boys run club. And it's a heap of young lads that just go out and send it for a 5k on a Sunday morning. It gets a lot of the boys off the piss on a Saturday night and just gets everyone, you know, having a really healthy early start to their Sunday and making the most of the day. And I thought, oh, that sounds great, but I haven't bloody, like, I'd, I'd only ever run 6Ks in my life. And that was probably five years ago because my sister forced me to. And aside from that, I was always a sprinter. So I hated anything over like a K, two Ks. And I probably hated anything over 200 meters, really. And so I went to this 5K on a Sunday and I was... I was gone. I was so tired afterwards. And I was like, how do people do this for fun? But it was just like the social aspect was so great. Like the boys were all having an ice long black after having a yarn, jumped in the ocean. And I was like, this is great. You know, I'm going to come back. So I went back another week or two, you know, for the next week or two, I should say. And then they said, why don't you come to a Wednesday night run with this? You know, some of the boys run 21 Ks, 15, 10 or five. You just come in and join in. It's like a loop system you be there at the time to do your designated distance and you just go for it. And so I went back and I remember I'd done that 5Ks on Sunday, still a little sore, and I'd done that five on the Wednesday. And I remember finishing it and thinking, I'm going to be in a world of pain tonight because I just don't like the way that my body feels right now. And I went to my mum's for dinner that night and I was so sore. I was cramping up. My bloody shins were aching. I had like a sense of shin splints going on. And I'm thinking, how do some of these fellas just go and run 21Ks on a Wednesday night and bloody wash it down with a burger from Chico's after? Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Who would do that for fun? And it was probably a week later, I was running on a Sunday morning with them. And, I, you know, the ego kicks in when you're around a bunch of blokes. Like, you're trying to, you know, and I'm always last at the end of the pack. And this day I was sitting about middle pack and I thought, Jesus, I'm in with half a chance here to, to redeem myself and get a bit of dignity back. So I kept pushing myself and I remember running and I just thought like my lungs feel like almost loose, like as weird as that sounds, like it feels like there's almost water in my lungs, but I finished and 
sat there after and I kind of felt fine. I was having a coffee later that day with a few mates down at the beach again. And if you can't tell, I drink a lot of coffee. Um, and I'm down at the beach again and I sat there and I coughed and I was like, straight away, I was like, that cough is just full of blood. I could taste it. So I was just like, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. And I went to the bathroom and just started spitting out blood in the sink. And like, it was quite a bit of blood. So it was alarming. And within the space of probably like, I guess, five minutes in the bathroom, I coughed up a few handfuls of blood. And I went back and I was like, I don't want to make a scene. So I just went back down and finished my coffee and we had a bit of lunch and I went home and I just thought, oh, maybe I'll sleep it off. So I lied down. As soon as I lied down, I started coughing up blood again. So I ended up at the hospital that afternoon and they checked me, you know, they'd done x-rays, scans, blood tests, you know, everything. And I'd stopped coughing up blood at this point. And the doctor said, look, you seem stable. Do you feel okay? You know, do you feel like we need to do anything else? And I'm like, well, I feel pretty good. And mum's cooking salmon tonight, so can I go home? And he goes, yeah, all right, we'll let you go. So I went to mum's house for dinner, had a salmon, and I woke up the next day and I thought, God. And I, actually, I woke up the next day and I was just like, it was like I had the flu. And I'm thinking, oh, so frustrating because at the moment with COVID, so I was like, I'll stay at home, I'll chill, make sure I don't have COVID. And I sat there and I was I, coughing so much all day that, I thought, okay, there's going to be an issue here. And I ended up coughing up more blood that afternoon, but I thought, okay, I feel okay. So I'll just stay at home and I'll rest. So I rested that day. And then the Tuesday I woke up and I thought, I feel good. It's like it had just gone. It was like it was a little 24 hour bug. I thought, bloody hell, new lease on life. Wake up, I'll, I'll feel fine. I wasn't coughing. I didn't feel unwell. And I went through that day and I was fine. Then I woke up on the Wednesday and just started coughing up so much blood. Like it was just a scary amount compared to the Sunday and end up going back to emergency. I think it was that night and they were in there and they, you know, tested me for COVID, which was negative. And they, they done all these tests again. And they were like, look, we think it's inflammation in your lungs. And when your lungs are inflamed, those small airways are basically, um, you know, and some of the scarring you have in your lungs is, is working hard to try and open up and, and free themselves to take air so they can bleed and, and, you know, open up a little bit. And that's where we think it's coming from. You basically need to just let your lungs heal a bit before you do anything again. So I remember sitting there though that night in hospital, you know, we're in emergency all night until five o'clock the next morning. And, you know, I was sitting there with my old man and we we're just having a chat and, and we'd been reflecting on, I'd shared a post on Instagram, funnily enough, a week before as a newfound runner, I was reflecting back on past memories and conversations my old boy and I had had. And, and when I was two years of age, he ran, you know, he was a pretty fit fella, but never a runner. Um, and him and my uncle Tezel and a few other marathon runners done a big charity event for cystic fibrosis where they ran 68 Ks three days in a row. So 212 K event. And there was a photo of dad and I, th I can't remember whether it was crossing the finish line or the day before where they'd done some sort of promo shot. And for some reason, he can't even remember why he's running across the line with two guys next to him and a can of twoies in his hand. And, um, and we're having a laugh about it and I shared it on Instagram and I was like, how good would it be if I just ran a marathon by the end of the year after being in hospital coughing up blood? And everyone was kind of like apprehensive, like, oh, you got to make sure like you're ready for that. I think a lot of people doubted that I'd be able to get back to that and, you know, and build for a marathon as someone who 
wasn't running more than 5Ks and was definitely not running 5Ks well. And, you know, so I left there and I spent like a week recovering at home and I'd taken a photo of me lying in hospital um, with a mask on and, and I looked horrid. I looked like I just looked tired and run down and I recovered for a week. And in that week, I actually got a call from one of my good mates and Dano said to me, he said, man, I've been thinking about it. And just like the way you've bounced out of hospital and just your whole outlook on life is like, wouldn't it be great to share that with the community to show that CF is, you know, it's a terrible illness, but if you have the right mindset and you look after yourself, you can overcome it like you have. And he said, I just feel like your mindset shouldn't be neglected. Like it'd be great to share that with people. And he said, and I've been trying to think about what we can do to, to spread that word. And I just think a charity event of some sort would be great to raise money for the cause. And I was like, it's funny you say that because I've just been stewing on this idea for a week to run a marathon at the end of the year for cystic fibrosis. And he goes, well, I don't know if I'll bloody run it, but I'd love to be there and to support you. And so we sat down and we had a dinner and, you know, me, my mate, Dano, Steffi, Bids and, um, and Joey, we all sort of chatted and I spoke to my family and I said, I want to do this. You know, I want to run a marathon for cystic fibrosis. So I took a selfie with a pair of sneakers one night and threw it up on, um, on social and just said 42 for CF is the name we come to. And I said, you know, I'm going to run a marathon on the 12th of December for cystic fibrosis. And people say, why the 12th of September? And I was like, well, I need as bloody long as I can get and I want to do it just before Christmas and 12 was my lucky number and I thought I need all the luck I can get to so we'll do it on the 12th. So we threw that out there and I tagged CF Australia in the social post and the next day I was sitting there actually typing up an email to send to them and they commented on the Facebook post and were like we want to get around this and before too long I found myself in contact with the CEO of CF Australia, Nettie Burke and um, her team and now we've got a team of six people behind you know 42 for CF and it's you know becoming a fully fledged event at the end of the year and hopefully an annual event here in Wollongong's calendar that's amazing mate it's amazing um there's a couple of things I want to draw out so mate just the way that you approach things I think is uh very interesting for people to know the fact that um you're coughing up blood having a a nice longie and some breakfast with your boys and you're like, oh, I don't want to make a big deal about this. So you went back to the table and just sat down, had your coffee. There's something to that. Right. Um, yeah. And then, no, hey, um, don't try that at home. Bloody get it no. <laughs> yes. Definitely don't try that at home, but there is definitely something to that. Right. And then um, to go to the emergency room, um, doctors asking you, you know, you're feeling all right. And you're like, yeah, mum's making salmon for dinner. So I want to be there for that, <laughs> you know, cause you dig it. I don't know how much your family means to you. Um, just to really focus on the things that, that are mattering to you and to keep going after it. Um, I noticed, mate, like you've got this thing about taking on life. Yeah. Right? To be in hospital as well, um, you know, after your lungs have been bleeding, coughing up that much blood, you know, for a second time and then um, sitting there with your old boy and just being like, you know, how good would it be if I just run a marathon by the end of the year? after I've never run, you know, even 5Ks, what you say isn't well. You know what I mean? Um, you're just taking it on, brother. Like everything, something comes up and you're just like, oh, what can I do that's going to be good? What can I do that I enjoy? Um, and you just follow your heart on it. And it's, um, it's this amazing attitude you have, mate. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because 
you know, we all say it so often that we get one chance at life, but I don't feel like we ever do anything about it. Right. Like how much, you know, you get to a point in life, I feel where I was absorbing so much wisdom. Like you, you, you can listen to so many podcasts that talk about how, you know, life is this one time thing and you've got to make the most out of it and you've got to be inspired by it. And I guarantee there'll be people sitting here listening to this now saying that's amazing. And we love that perspective. But once you sort of press pause or your episode finishes or, you know, that phase of your life and that learning is past and things just blend back into normal, you kind of pretty quickly forget the lesson learned from that. And I just felt like so often I was learning this and and experiencing all this wisdom in life, but I just, I wasn't acting on it. And it's just for me. And like I said, this last year, which has been life changing has just been the realization that this is a one-time thing. And, you know, one of my guests on my show, Logan Dodds, I think put it beautifully. He, you know, he shared in one of his YouTube um, clips, it was a, a YouTube clip called moments. And he said that, you know, if you had a quota on the amount of moments that made up your life, how would you use them? And I love that analogy because, you know, we're all here for a moment and one day we'll be gone. And, you know, a lot of people will forget what you've done while you were here but your, you know, your family and your close friends will remember. But I've always said that in those final moments of life, you know, if you are in a position where you know that, that it's your final moments and you're lying there in that hospital bed or in that bed or room in your home and you know what's dawning on you, you know, how will you think back and, and feel about your life? And I want to be in a position that no matter what age I am, I hope it's bloody 100 and I hope I'm here to pester my family for a whole lot longer. But, you know, whatever age it may be or whatever circumstance it may be that that life ends, I'd love to be there in those last moments and think my job here is done. You know what I mean? Like mm. I've, I've really given that a, a good crack and I've, you know, reflected back on those moments with a smile on my face and the knowledge that I really left no stone unturned. And, you know, just for me, I, I really look for that wisdom now and I love to apply it. And I had a guy on my show, Pat Farmer, an Aussie runner, on the weekend who's done some really cool stuff in his life. And I remember leaving that, like I was just sitting there chatting to Pat and I could see him just, just talking about those experiences and moments in his life with the biggest smile on his face. And I was like, that's what it's about. Like being able to sit back and look at everything you've done. And, you know, I hope that's the case for my podcast when, when I call a day on that in many, many years to come, or, you know, I hope it's the, the fact when I sit there on the 13th of December, um, probably in a world of pain, looking back on, on that 42.2 Ks that I ran the day before and, and just have a smile on my face to, to know that I'm making the most of every experience and opportunity that comes my way. And that's what it's about. And, you know, the more you can apply that to your life, um, I think the happier you will be. And, and that's really the meaning to all of this. Well, I think anyways. Absolutely, man. And like, I have no doubt that you will be one of those people who are going to look back and smile upon all the achievements in your life. You know, the fact that, you know, you created this event simply through thinking it and think and wanting to do it, you know, now you're partnering, like you said, with CF Australia, we got, you've got a whole team behind you and now it's a, a fully fledged, um, you know, official event under their umbrella. It, you know, you, you made that happen, you know, just because you wanted it to happen and you're that, that in itself tells, the audience 
everything they need to know about who you are and how you approach your life. So man, hats off to you, hats off to your parents, you know, like you said, like that, that in itself, I don't think that, um, that part of your life is, I can say is, you know, uh, I can't say more than, you know, I can't put justice to, to the fact that your parents have like given you everything that you have, you know, and the blessings you've been able to see and receive and experience, you know, through life. It's amazing. It's, it's an amazing story, man. Um, yeah. Like when, when you say, when you say that those two weeks in hospital were a blessing to you and you also preface it with the fact that not many people would, um, I guess they, they might find that funny or a bit strange. I, I, I get you a hundred percent. I get you. I know exactly uh, where that, where that comes from because I, I tell that story a lot as, my, as well, you know, my yeah. own personal story of, of having cancer and, um, you know, telling, saying that, that that is the blessing, the absolute greatest blessing of my life. But that in itself, I think that these types of experiences, and I talk about experience, not knowledge, right? You know, there's one thing to read about it or listen to it. And like you said, uh, we can gloss over that, those sorts of things and it might feel cool at that, that point in time, but then we'll go back to, you know, uh, our lives and the, the hustle and bustle and whatever we're scared of and whatever we're focused on. But until we experience these things that actually catalyze these life-changing moments and point us in the right direction, and then that's when we really know what we're sort of, you know, focusing on or the purpose of everything that we're actually doing. And like happiness really is the, the end goal, right? And it's not found anywhere else but inside ourselves. 100%. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. I remember being, I remember being probably like eight or nine years of age and I was in Sydney children's hospital. And, you know, for, for me as a young fellow with CF, like I said, I was really healthy. So they used to almost drag me in the hospital once every couple of years, just for, for what they call like a tune up, like a little oil change for CF. And, and I remember going in and there's a, there's a kid that literally impacted my life just that in the most insane way, his name was Chris and, he was, he was the same age as me at the time. He was eight or nine and he had leukemia. And I remember I just created the best connection with him. He, he literally was in the bed across from me. And we actually had a little guys getting going on in that room. There was four of us young fellas who were all stuck in there for our own reasons and, and created a great little friendship. But he's the guy that I remember most because, you know, for all the, for all the shit that was going on in his life, there was never not a smile on his face. I remember, you know, my parents were, were, were literally sleeping beside my bed. Like they refused to leave my, my side because that's just how they've been, you know, my whole life with, with cystic fibrosis and in everything that I do. And he just had no family there at all. And I remember thinking far out, it must be tough to be this guy. Like, but he just always had that smile on his face and there was this zest for life at like, you know, they, I remember they moved him to another room. So he climbed through the window and into the other building to come over and see me and hang out one afternoon. And we had to return him back to the other side because they didn't know where he'd gone. But he just had this beautiful outlook on life. And, and I find that everyone who was, you know, especially people in life who have been tested, they just seem to have that, you know, they, they understand the, the beauty of just the, the simplest joys and the simplest um, of safety and good health and security in life. And, you know, I, I just find myself in, 
I guess, in total awe of those people who at such a young age have been, you know, so greatly tested, but seem to come out of it with a smile on their face and they just seem to have the best understanding of life. And, you know, I'd like to think I'm in that same boat. Absolutely. You are. That's the, that's, you basically, you know, describe how, um, I guess I'm perceiving you at the moment, mate. Like, you know, like I said, a young man who's done, you know, all that you've, you've achieved to this point and, you know, you've, you've only just begun your journey and that's the super exciting part, right? Like I, I myself personally, in a selfish way, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to just, you know, following your journey and seeing what, what unfolds from, you know, your, your particular story throughout the years, but, you know, to see what you have created to this point, it's already like, you know, I, I can sort of see that it's, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great story going forward, you know, and I just can't wait to like, you know, watch you witness it and, you know, maybe walk beside you as well, mate. So, yeah. you know, hats off. No, I appreciate it. It's that, that's the thing about life, isn't it? Like there's, there's something about just being excited about the future. And I feel like I'm in that position now where, you know, it's almost that feeling it's undescribable, but like I go into every day and I spoke about it with Joe Damon, the Kiwi comedian recently, Joe and I caught up over zoom and, and we're chatting about that feeling. And I don't even know how to explain it to the audience, but it's just like, where you feel that at any moment, your life can change forever. And I just feel mm. like I'm in that phase, like with everything I'm doing and everything I'm putting out there to the world, it, it feels so pure and it feels like it's with such good intention that at any moment it could completely escalate to a new level. And that's the most exciting feeling where you just feel like everything you're doing is amounting to something bigger and it's amounting towards the next phase of your life. And, and I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to, you know, to sit across from you guys today and, you, you know, I learned something new about you both and you come out of, you know, any opportunity to speak to someone new is an opportunity to grow and to learn. And, you know, I remember sitting there and, you know, the one thing I love about podcasts is I'm a big fan of, um, of Lewis Howes, the podcaster over in America. He's got the School of Greatness. And I was watching Lewis at the start of the year. He went, you know, most people who know Wim Hof, the Iceman, he took... Lewis invited, you know, I think it was 13 guys who were all influential characters in their space, you know, authors, writers, podcasters, um, basically, you know, one guy was a relationship expert, like all these different characters, athletes, and he invited them to Poland on a Wim Hof experience for a week. And I remember seeing this podcast where 13 of those guys were sat in a room just sharing what they learned and what they got from that week. And I thought, you know, I can't wait for the opportunity to sit in front of these characters and just learn something from every one of them. And, you know, one day I hope to sit in front of Rogan and share my story there. One day I hope, you know, he's sitting in front of me and just, and just those people, cause you can continue to learn and grow from people at all stages in life. So that's no, exciting. That's definitely, man. Very exciting um, prospects ahead for you. And, you know, by through your intentions and just them being, you know, true to your heart, look, just even right now, man, it's unfolding for you as you're in that hospital bed, just thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do that 42? And um, now you've got team behind you, CF Australia, and, and it's happening, mate. And, and you're making, you know, leaps and bounds in your progress. And you know what, it's, it's not even, um, I can't remember where I heard it the other day, but, you know, it's not even about A to B. It's like, it's just what happens along the way. And 
you know, I could fall on my ass and fail at 42, right? Which I don't think will happen. I feel like I'm pretty well prepared. And, you know, I'd like to think I'll finish that event. But along the way, like I had never run more than 6Ks and just last Wednesday I ran 25. There's been growth in this journey, you know what I mean? So even, even if it is failure, I think, you know, I spoke about it in the episode I filmed today on my podcast with Shanda Earl that even if it's, um, you know, we, we've got to learn to embrace failure. We've got to learn to embrace a challenge because there's growth in that, you know, that there's new levels in that. And, you know, you've got to expect that, you know, if you're not failing at something, you're really pushing yourself hard enough. You know what I mean? Like there'll be, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. There'll be so much joy in succeeding at 42 Ks in, in December, but there'll be the question in the back of my head that could I have been a 50 K ultra marathon runner? Like, should, you know what I mean? Should, <laughs> yeah, should I have sure. shot a little bit higher? For so, sure. you know, and, and I think if you've got that outlook and you've got that ability to embrace that, you're just going to, it's whatever facet um, or, or um, direction you're headed in in life. If you've got the ability to embrace that and be okay with failing and just learning from it, you know, I think we, we define that word failure so negatively, like you could almost rep- replace it with learnings. And totally. you know, if you embrace learning and if you embrace challenge, then God, there's some bloody great growth along the way. So buddy tuck in and, and have a crack at life, I reckon. Absolutely, man. And um, I guess, I guess there's no fitting, more fitting way to sort of uh, wrap up the conversation, mate, with that, that sort of uh, sentiment for our audience to sort of chew on. You know, it's, it's something that Sean and I, uh, we often talk about, you know, this, this concept of not winning and losing, but just winning and learning, right? That's, that's yeah. what it's about. And it's, it's, a, it's a perspective shift. And it is difficult for us to, you know, take on. But, you know, I encourage the audience really to, to take on some of the things that Brad has, has shared with us today and just think about, you know, just chew on that a little bit more. Like when we allow ourselves to sort of see life from a different lens and really just not be so caught up in all the busyness and commotion that, that we're sort of led down, then there is so much for us. And I think that that imagery I'd like to leave everyone on is that that feeling you said that you described so eloquently of, of having that, that weight lifted off your shoulders. That, that's what it feels like, right? You know, just Definitely. moving through life every day, like with a lightness, you know, not, not really knowing what is, um, you know, in front of us, the next step, but that's exciting. That's super exciting. So, you know, one, one thing that I guess I'll say to, to leave off on is there's a quote that pops up on my phone. I used to have it pop up on my phone at 9am every day and it still does. Because it, it was, for me, a big part and, you know, it was, it was probably the catalyst and the emotion behind making that decision to leave. And it's a quote that I can't remember who said it, but I found it on a page one day and it said, the greatest risk of all is, is what was it? It's, and then there is the greatest risk of all. Um, not doing what you want. And fuck, I'm, I'm forgetting this here. Let me read it to you. Let me, let me get it off my phone. I don't want to butcher it. I hate butchering a quote. Uh, find it, mate. But Go for it's, it. It's literally, for me, it was the catalyst to quit my job. And it just, I feel like it is so profoundly correct, but so underappreciated. And it goes like this. And then there is the most dangerous risk of all. Spending your life not doing what you want on the bet you can buy yourself the freedom to do it later. And I think that is so true. Life is so unsure and that future is not guaranteed. So spend your life doing what you love 
and don't bet that you'll have the freedom or the money to do it later. Absolutely. Beautifully said. said. And, um, you know, thank you for the words and to, we'll, we'll we'll give a hat tip to whoever, whoever that quote, uh, should be, uh, is, 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 uh, owned to, but, um, but yeah, I'd love for you to, uh, you know, share with uh, the audience, where can people find you and find out more about who you are, what you do and, you know, uh, 42 for CF as well. So, um, floor's yours, man. Yeah, definitely. I guess the, the main portal for me is, you know, as we said a little bit earlier, my life is basically documented on Instagram from, you know, the first morning brew to, you know, the last training session of the day and everything in between. And, you know, I document all of my podcasts on there, which is the Bradley J driver experience. And, you know, my Instagram handle is just at Bradley J driver. And hopefully if you search that, you can find it easy enough, but it's, um, it's basically got a link there to everything that I'm doing behind my podcast, 42 for CF and the donation page behind that event. But, you know, I'm a pretty open book and I, you know, I live my life pretty openly because I want to, not only share in the experiences that I have, but allow people to learn and grow from my winnings and my mistakes. And, you know, that's all a part of life. But I just want to say thank you to you boys for allowing me to, to come here and share my story. It's always a pleasure. You know, my story is something that I'm, that I'm really proud of and my family and, and the people that are surrounding me, you know, I feel like I owe it to them to continue sharing that story with the world. Um, but more importantly, just to get the most out of it myself. And I thank you boys for allowing me to come on here and do that. Mate, it was our pleasure, man. Absolutely our pleasure. And uh, absolutely your story and everything behind it, you should be super proud of it. And like I said, can't wait to see what's coming up. But, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll chuck all those links up into the show notes so people can find you. Appreciate that, boys. Thank you so much. And, and I wish you guys all the best with this show. It's definitely heading in an amazing direction. It's been a blessing to be a part of it. Thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate that. And, um, you know, there's uh, so much people can take from these conversations. There really is. And I know people will draw out a lot of nuggets from today and a lot of inspiration from you, mate. Um, you know, Thank you. they say highest human act is to inspire and you're doing that every day. And um, it's really cool that you're sharing it with everyone. So I really urge everyone to jump on, um, find Brad on Instagram. That's actually how you and I uh, were introduced to each other. Definitely. Right? You know, um, shout out to Critter, Scott Crittenden. Um, <laughs> you know, actually... Uh, messaged him just randomly. He commented on a post um, on Instagram and I liked what he said. So I reached out to him and we had a bit of a chat and then he was like, oh, there's actually a fella, um, a good mate of mine that I think you'd um, get along really well with. So be in touch. So, and that's what he did, man. So I really urge people to uh, jump on Instagram, engage with, uh, with Brad there and, you know, get along for the journey. I appreciate it, boys. I appreciate it. And everyone just get out there and have a crack at life. That's what it's all about. That's Absolutely. it. And where's your place to find you, Les? Yeah, man. So everyone can find me on my website, uh, findingspace.co. Uh, shoot me a line and an email there. Just say good day. Got a few exciting things coming up there in the, couple, uh, in the coming months. So stay tuned there. Um, on Instagram and Facebook as well, you can find me at findingspace.co. Uh, you can also hit Sean and I up on our email address uh, for this particular podcast. And if you're going to ask any questions, get in touch with Brad or come on as a guest, anything at all. It's the hustle and flow podcast at gmail.com. How about you, Sean? Where can people find you, man? Yeah. Um, easiest places on Instagram. So just Sean underscore Coop, S-H-A-U-N underscore C-O-O-P. And if um, you did draw something out from uh, this conversation today that really, you know, struck a chord with you, we ask that you share it with just one other person. It's how we grow the podcast. I have no doubt that there is. And uh, Brad, in your words, going to leave people with uh, just tuck in and have a crack at life.
Definitely. Definitely. That's what it's about. All right, guys. See you next time. Thanks, boys.